Low Light, Episode 12, Part 2. There's a regular tap, tap, tap at the glass as the hazelnut tree bends towards the house in the wind. It's warm inside Shirley's bedroom. The window is coated in condensation. Reggie's bed sits hairy in its emptiness. Quiet. Shirley is in her bed, staring at the absence of small dog, arms wrapped around, knees pulled up. Hair wet from her bath, cosy pyjamas on, hot chocolate on the side table. Cat hands her a hot water bottle and sits on the edge of her bed. I still don't really understand why you stormed off. Was it this police officer you mentioned? What was Gav doing with her again? Oh, it doesn't matter about that. Gavin is... It's probably a good thing. I think it's best we just go back to being friends, really. Really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's actually anything, you know, going on. Oh, don't. You'll curdle me hot chock. Don't be a child, cat. Cat sniffs. There's no need. Anyway, I've been childish enough for both of us this evening. Tap, tap, tap. Come on, try and explain. It doesn't match the state you were in and your explanation. People mentioned the bike, and it's freaky that it's appeared in the back garden. If someone's put it there to upset you... I saw the birds clawing it out of the ground. Yeah, right. Well, admittedly, that could discombobulate a person, but Cheryl, you were distraught. I know. Cat waits. It's brought back what happened. With Dad, you know. I associate the bike with what happened, I think. It was like they were poking a raw wound, and I felt like growling and biting like a wounded animal. As if it had only just happened to me. You should have had counselling. I know. I probably should have. It's like a black hole in my mind. And if I try to make sense of it, I feel like I've got vertigo. Like I'm going to fall in. This evening, I felt like everyone was against me. Like I couldn't trust anyone. He did that to me. Dad. Oh, God, Jill, I'm sorry. I thought I was going to die. I was too young to understand that there could have been worse things that happened. I used to think about it when I was out on my bike, and as I grew up, I realised what could have happened. That same feeling overwhelmed me tonight out of nowhere. The bike was Eric trying to make you feel better after it had happened, wasn't it? Supposedly. It did, initially. I hadn't thought about it until... Well, I told Gav about it last night. God, I'm tired. Not surprised. It's 1am. Is it? Oh, God. I hope Reggie's okay. You've got messages. Here. Cat hands over Shirley's phone. She scrolls down and nods, wiping away tears. Yeah, it's fine. My lad. 
I left him. Come here. And the sisters hug and the pain eases. It wasn't just you, though, was it? Sounds like a Greek tragedy out there tonight anyway. People beating their chests and all that. Hmm. Maybe it's not just me being confronted with a painful memory, eh? Maybe there are other people who never went to counselling. Do you think Eric tried to help them too? Maybe. Great job, Eric. It's not his fault if people have kept their dark secrets hidden and not dealt with them. Isn't it? You don't think he bears any responsibility, given what's going on? I don't think he intended to cause harm to anyone. Don't you? Cat. Maybe we've assumed that he's this lovely, wizardy man who'd never harm a fly. And actually, he's just human. A bit inept like the rest of us. And his ineptitude has had unintended consequences. Shirley looks doubtful. What if he tries to cover up his shoddy work by making grand gestures like conjuring up a brand new bike for a little girl? Or even just by telling more stories one on top of another until people forget he's done anything wrong? I mean, if I do something shitty out of spite... Like when I told Sally she looked like Lily Savage at that charity do at the theatre last year. I'd try and make amends. I make sure I compliment Sally every time I see her now. It almost makes it worse. If someone like Eric does that, though, time after time, over many, many years, maybe there are consequences. Some of us have had our lives interfered with in a more serious way, after all. Oh, Kat, not this again. Well, it was Eric's fault Henry was born. It wasn't his fault. What was it then? He didn't create Henry. I know, but he was conceived because of what Eric said. Did you or did you not have sex with Dave Callahan on the sofa after drinking two bottles of Carver at Nadine Booth's 40th birthday party? Yes, I'm not disputing that. And the argument settles into its well-worn groove. Panko, who has been hiding from the storm in the armchair in the corner of the room, has had enough and makes a show of leaving the pair of them to it. The sisters eventually give it up, knowing the argument has no end. You're not going to go back round there. Cat looks from under her eyelashes at Shirley. Don't. I'll leave it while all this is going on. He's okay at the moment. The tap, tap, tap continues in the quiet. The wind whistles. The sisters listen. They frown at the noise. Gavin said the Mims would be grieving, didn't he? For what, do you think? I mean, maybe it's their pain everyone's feeling. Shirley looks at her sadly, but doesn't reject the idea. Instead, she voices a niggling little thought. It feels a bit like something's been broken. Yeah, it does. Like something's been let out of a box. Pandora's box. A box of... distractions. Promises of better things. 
don't worry about your problems. Here's a shiny new bike. Or you're at rock bottom, thinking of topping yourself. Look over here, you're pregnant. But the problems are still there, they haven't gone away. Yes, and because they've been left to fester, look what's happened today, that poor policeman. God, when I saw that animal rip into his leg, oh, the blood. The mayhem it's all causing. Panko meows from the landing. Gavin thinks the boar is a mim. Cat suddenly barks a laugh and splutters all over Shirley. Cat? Sorry. Sorry. I'm not laughing at what happened with the boar. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> An image of Gavin with those mice just came to me. The comedy mice, says Shirley. Face a wall of neutrality. I mean, if Gavin getting trapped in between raging mice and kamikaze bats while frantically waving his big gloved hands about and swearing a lot was the only thing going on, I'd be all for it. (laughs) Cat collapses into giggles and snorts. Her eyes are streaming with tears. I mean, I honestly don't care what he gets up to with Officer Ruby, really. When I have memories like that to call on, stop! Oh, God! Shirley smiles at her sister, helpless with mirth. She eventually quietens down, and Shirley allows the sound of the weather back into her mind. Maybe we do need to look more closely at what Eric and Padma have been doing all these years, and how it's affected us. We were only kids. Who knows what damage they might have done. Cat's face darkens. They look at each other, and Cat begins to nod. Maybe it's not the Mims who are grieving. Maybe it's the people they were created for. It is our grief. If Padma's death has unsettled us all, then maybe it's our fear, our anxieties, our secrets and experiences that we never dealt with. It's all still there. In the box. If Lower Lee is the box, then Padma was the one who kept the box safe. And Charity is Pandora, who opened it by killing her. Shirley is wide-eyed. She feels her stomach drop at Cat's summation. Cat stares bleakly. She notices the tap, tap, tap of the branches on the window again. Shirley rallies, big sister mode fighting to reassert itself. We shouldn't let ourselves get carried away. Eric is a sad old man grieving for his friend. Padma's death has hit lots of other people very hard too, and the storm outside is very distressing, listen to it. In fact, the weather has been trying to say the least the past few days. There could be normal explanations for... Your bike has emerged from the mud like the Lady of the Bastard Lake. I'm aware of that, Cat. It's like some mystical prophecy. You didn't want it to appear, did you? You weren't itching to be reminded of what happened to you. You wanted it to stay in the past, but the past is coming back, opening up people's secrets. Something's broken, like you said. Maybe this is, um, what's the word, when there's a comeuppance? You mean, like a reckoning? Panko listens, ears pricked. He sits, bathed in the landing light, and peers at the sisters through the open door. 
It does feel like a reckoning, for want of a better word. Like things are coming to a head. It's like we're being punished for not dealing with the awful things that happen to us. Yeah, it does. Which isn't right, is it? What about the people who did those things? What about their secrets and lies and perversions and corrupt bloody selves? Are they suffering? And what about Eric and Padma? They might have tried to help us, but they messed it up. At the least, they messed it up. Or they were just as corrupt themselves. Maybe it's a conspiracy. You sound like Gavin. Okay, maybe not, but if people like you and me are affected, surely people like the men who, you know, they too must be experiencing, I don't know, karma? You think? I doubt it. Those kind of people rarely seem to get their just desserts. True. But we should look. Look? Look where? At what? In the places where we know or we suspect bad things have happened. Tony's garden, Lance's, that's a start. To see what's emerged from the ground. Yes, if there's nothing there, then fine, but... It wouldn't make sense, in line with our theory, I mean. They're not the ones that need healing. Yes, they are. What? You have sympathy for... No, not sympathy. But they're damaged people who do stuff like that. People who harm children, who are neglectful and have no respect for other people's right to live in peace. They do that stuff because they hate themselves. Because they themselves have been harmed. They need help. And they could be religious and confess their sins or something. Like Tony. What? Tony was a regular churchgoer. It's where him and Tanya met. Was he? I didn't realise. Never thought about it, I suppose. Anyway, we can at least look. Do you think we should go... I should go back to that place? No. I'll go. Or we'll get Gavin to go. Cat grabs Shirley's hand. They grip onto each other. The wind moans, and they listen to the tap, tap, tap again. I don't know what it'll achieve, though. We need to try and understand, and this is something that might help. That's all. Look, you're knackered. So am I. Try and get some sleep. I'm going to bed, and we'll talk about it in the morning. It's good to have a plan, something we can do. We'll get Gavin to help. He'll want to, copper girlfriend or not, okay? Shirley nods as a tear gets loose, but she swipes it away. She smiles tightly in resignation. Good. Night, sis. Sleep tight. Night. Cat shuts the bedroom door and the tap-tapping takes centre stage again. Shirley drinks her chocolate, looks down again at the place Reg should be. Her eyelids begin to droop, but flicker at the sound of a message coming in. She peers at the notification and sees that it's Henry on his uncle's phone. She smiles and gets up on her elbow, presses call. Hi, Han. How are you doing? Tap, tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. 
As the rain finally begins to ease, it's hard not to be drawn back to the conversation in Gavin's kitchen. After all, the wind is worrying at his chimney pot, wanting to hear the latest theory. Eric's little inducement is working, it seems. Since arriving home and getting the heating on, Gavin has tried to explain the mim stuff to Ruby, but in the face of her refusal to believe any of it, he has decided to take Eric's advice and get the green stuff out. He hands a glass of the liquid to her, frowning slightly at the lively specks of gold darting about in it. Thanks. Good job I'm not on shift tomorrow. Might they call you in with this bore business going down? Going down? Yes. Gavin blinks with a smile on his face. His heart is beating loudly in his chest. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe, but I've no message yet, so I'm safe for a late start, I should think, at least. I don't need much sleep, usually, anyway. I'm quite a perky thing. Gavin's eyebrows raise. Ruby plays the video she took of the lantern room again and bites her lip. Gavin looks slightly dismayed. I know it's a lot to take in. There's always an explanation. There is, and I've tried to explain. I'm interested in how Eric was acting earlier. I think he was trying to avoid a truthful conversation. Charity made him feel uncomfortable with her demands to know about the image she created. You think he's lying about something? It was his body language that said it. Look. Ruby shows him the second clip on her phone, and he stands next to her to look over her shoulder. The gold glints in their glasses. See? He starts by trying to avoid holding her gaze, rubbing his eyes. He did say he was tired. Yes, okay. But then, when she doesn't give up, he has no choice but to engage with her, and he stares at her, unblinking. I think there's something going on with him. She looks up at Gavin, and they both realise their proximity. Anyway, maybe you can try and ask him when you see him tomorrow. There's a community meeting, isn't there, tomorrow evening? Yeah, I can, but... Oh, Eric's just a frightened old man, isn't he? You know, what with the boar and the police and the rats? Ruby frowns, not sure she likes the police being lumped together with rats in a sentence like that. Gavin's face freezes as he realises what he's said. Oh, Gavin. It doesn't matter, Gavin. People are getting hurt. Very strange things are happening, and he's at the heart of it. If he's hiding something, it could have an important bearing on all of these events, however unlikely. So, you will? Yeah, of course. If you think it's best. I do. I can give you some tips on interview technique if you like. Mmm, yes please. You do like an investigation, don't you? I do. I love a bit of detecting. Oh, I might have something else for you, actually. Gavin puts his glass down and wanders off down the hall, shouting back over his shoulder. I think there might have been something dodgy about the guy I bought my photography business from. I found this in amongst the stuff he gave me. He says, as he bustles back into the kitchen and places the floppy disk case on the table with a flourish. Floppy disks? Blimey. Can't get into it, though. No key? No. Oh, shit. 
the keys from Tanya's garden. He pulls them out of his pocket. It's weird she didn't want you to take them inside, isn't it? Although, I guess they aren't her car keys, so maybe she's just averse to collecting junk. Another weird thing to add to the list. Gavin's eyes glitter at her. You think the keys have some significance for Tanya? And the Bible? A nod. Yeah, of course they do. Okay, they may do. But if so, I think that points more to human activity than animal activity. I've seen them doing it though. And you saw them digging that track yourself. We've both just witnessed Elle do a Pied Piper act at Eric's house and Charity drawing with plants in mid-air. Yes, it seemed like magic, but it could have been a kind of group think. Off the back of us getting excited about the track and being in that room with its special atmosphere and drinking this green stuff, maybe, we've just convinced each other. I can't explain the animals digging the track yet, but we'll get there. You're just as witchy as Charity and Al Eric said so. I'm not witchy, in a good way. Ruby looks at him. She feels a bit exposed. Look, I'm a scientist. Everything can be explained. I agree. I'm a photographer and a painter. Well, I used to be. And, well, light and shadow can make tangible things seem different. Or even unreal. But what Eric's shown us... In order to get to the facts of the matter, we have to cut through those kinds of distortions. And what has Eric shown you? What has he actually shown you in the cold light of day? Or is it that he's a very skilled storyteller, a spinner of tales, someone who can weave words into what sounds like a kind of truth? I think this is too serious to fall for fun ideas of magic wizardry. Right. Sorry to be, well, serious. It's okay. Gavin looks a bit lost. He pours more green liquid. Ruby takes pity on him. Okay, I do want to find out what the facts of this case are. Yes, I am calling it a case, and I am casting myself in the role of a detective, and you can be my assistant. Gavin's cheeks hurt from his big, big smile. I'll take that as agreement. So we can have some fun. Just a bit. Talking about Mimma Time and Mim Doodles and Mim... Yes, yes, okay. And, well, I'll start. I do think there's something about old roots, connections in the land. You said Eric is obsessed with the idea of the track. The old, dark track. Excellent spookiness there, Mr Baron. Thank you. The gold in their glasses sparkles and Gavin's kitchen gadgets start to glimmer. The light seems to dim in the kitchen and Ruby's eyes glint as she takes a sip of her green liquid. She holds Gavin's gaze and he wants to shift about in his seat but feels it would be rude to do so. He's gone all light-headed. Well, I'm struggling with the idea that a load of animals of completely different species, some local, some exotic, which are never found in the same environment usually, got together and decided, collectively, to excavate specific objects that are going to freak people out. 
even as someone with a reasonably open mind, that's... Too many zebras and not enough horses. Ruby's eyes dance a jig in merriment. Gavin is entranced. The room's glitter livens up. Yes. I do think there can be a rational explanation, but I don't discount the atmosphere of the place. When I was there earlier, before it all kicked off, I stood and listened. That place feels ancient. Its memory is saturated in the soil. Blood. Laughter. People's intentions as they made their way to and from places. Going to do something mundane, or something that only occurs once in a life. It's all there, and if you walk that path now, you breathe that air, and you live in that place across the centuries. The wind is noisy outside. Gavin and Ruby breathe quietly in their interior space. The glimmering intensifies, and the air almost begins to glow. Gavin begins to feel a little afraid. He notices the glints and sparkles, and looks at Ruby. She looks absent, lost in her imagination, but her presence is powerful, sat on her chair at his kitchen table. He gulps and grasps for something less mystical. How about we start an evidence board? Is that what you call it? We could link the objects and the people involved, try and work out the connections between everything. Ruby looks at him. She is unashamed in her appraisal of him. She examines his face with her eyes. He swallows again. She smiles, knowing the effect she's having. Nods. Okay, he clears the table. Let's do the bike in Shirley's garden, because I know it's got some significance for Shirley personally. What was it about the bike that upset Shirley? I don't know. It's definitely a mim, though. Shirley told me about it. She said she was told a story by Eric when she was little. She was upset about something, and he told her a story about this fantastic bike. And poof, it appeared before her very eyes. No, it didn't. It was there when she got home. Ruby looks doubtful. She said she didn't have a bike before that. Maybe she forgot she had it. Maybe her parents bought it for her and gave it to her on the same day. Kids believe in Santa, but Santa doesn't actually bring the presents to them. You do know that, Gavin, don't you? All right, Miss Cynical. Shirley was convinced Eric had made the bike appear, whether by conjuring it or something else, I don't know. Maybe he hypnotised her. Maybe. Was anyone else there when he told this story? I think she was with her mum and her sister, and Padma was there too. And Eric was trying to console her. You don't know why she was upset? No. Shirley's quite a private person. I know something happened to her when she was little, involving her dad, I think. But I don't know what. She's never told me about it. The wind moans. It is ironic that the thing Eric gave Shirley to make her feel better seems to be the thing that's distressing her 30 years later, though. 
Although, I suppose it could just be the trauma of seeing the thing clawed out of the ground by a load of deranged, ring-necked parakeets this morning. Ruby's eyes gleam, liquid and deep. I wonder how many kids listen to his stories. Quite a few, I reckon. Him and Padma used to do it at the theatre sometimes. There was a children's home. It's where the beach's old folks' home is now, opposite Tanya's house. They'd bring groups over from there sometimes, so Shirley said. Stories to comfort them and make them feel better. Like Alex. Alex? The police sergeant who came to Eric's house earlier. Oh, yeah. In my family's culture, a storyteller was a very respected member of the community. Eric and Padma were. He's been living more quietly in the last couple of years, though. Yeah, he said he doesn't tell stories much anymore, didn't he? Do you know why? Apparently, he and Padma had a falling out a couple of years ago, and he lost his enthusiasm for it then, I think. That's what he was saying right after Padma died. I mean, he can still do it, you know, make things appear. Ruby smiles at him. I bet they were legendary among the locals. Yeah, Shirley said it was just accepted. All her friends thought they were a bit magical. Not scary, though. Not like the usual witch-in-the-scary-house scenario. Every neighbourhood used to have one of those, didn't they? So, how long were they, the neighbourhood storytellers? Since 1979. Oh, okay, that's specific? Yeah, well, that's when him and Padma met and danced in the woods all night. Right. Is this what you meant when you were asking which direction they walked in? Out along the old ridgeway, the line being excavated by the animals? Yeah. That's a lot of stories. Lots of children, vulnerable children, they could have influenced. Influenced? Well, yeah. No. No? You don't think that's what happened with Shirley? Well, it depends what you mean. Hypnotism, like I said. Or some other technique like that. Yeah, but... Influenced? You make it sound like a bad thing? Manipulating the mind of a distressed young child. Manipulated? How? They were only trying to help her, weren't they? Make her feel better? Hmm. Maybe it was innocent. Yeah. Come on, it was a lovely thing to do. Kids who've had a tough life get told stories that make them feel happy. Kids who've been seriously damaged through neglect or abuse. Well... Yeah, they should have had professional help. They probably did get professional help, but they also got a nice story. <laughs> That'd help them too, wouldn't it? Ruby swirls the liquid in her glass. Why do you think it was a bad thing, Ruby? Context? Hindsight? I'm just thinking about the then and the now. And the scale of this making kids feel better. I don't know. Something's not sitting right with me. Gavin looks concerned. 
I don't think they tried to harm the children themselves, I don't think. It looks like, surely, as our example has been plunged back into that dark place from her childhood again tonight, doesn't it? That memory must have been... Well, it was suppressed. And it's come back to life. Eric and Padma weren't to know that would happen. No, perhaps not. But what if they used their power, their charisma, their position in the community, their skills as storytellers to deliberately suppress her memory? And if they did that with other kids too, why would they do that? To keep things quiet? Stop them kicking up a fuss? The digital clock on the cooker blinks its greenish blink. You think Eric and Padma were part of some sort of criminal conspiracy? It's just a line of thought. Well, you've got a very dark mind, Ruby Hussein, if you don't mind me saying so. Ruby shrugs. Just following the clues. Just trying to posit a theory. I mean, what motivated the pair of them to do this over so many years? Goodwill, pure and simple. Money? They could have been paid for it. Could they have acted under duress from someone else? None of these ideas are outlandish, really. Gavin opens his mouth to speak, but nothing comes out. You're the one convinced these objects being dug from the ground are significant for people. Well, if what's happened to Shirley because of the bike is happening to all of these other people who Shirley saw wailing and beating their chests, if they had the same experience as kids, that's a lot of bad memories coming back to the surface at once. It could be a coincidence, but look at the timing of it in relation to the death of Padma. Yeah... Okay, how about this? Maybe they created a sleeper cell of damaged kids who would wake to become wailing, grief-stricken hordes, creating confusion so that some audacious criminal heist could take place under everyone's noses. Maybe. I mean, I'm joking, obviously. I know, Gavin. We don't know the whalers all had stories told to them by Eric and Padma when they were kids. We could ask them. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose we could. You could ask around at the meeting tomorrow. Ruby takes a drink and smiles at Gavin. Did you grow up around here? Uh, no, I came to university here and stayed. Bought my house a couple of years ago. I'm an incomer. Who could we speak to who did grow up here? Apart from Shirley, I mean. Gavin smiles. I know a few people. Sally. Lewis. Brandon, who runs the theatre. Will they all be at the meeting tomorrow? You could do some detecting while you're there. I am a detective's assistant, after all. You are? What might a detective's assistant ask of these people? Exactly. Why do you think a local storyteller would create a ticking time bomb of grief in our quiet, leafy neighbourhood? Do you know any local criminals? Gavin blanches. Do I? Do you what? Know any local criminals? Well, I don't know that I do, but I don't know that I don't. Oh, God, what if I do? I mean, 
He wags a finger at the box of floppy disks. It might be dangerous. I might explode the ticking time bomb of grief. Grief? Good grief? No! Grief! Eric said the Mims would be grieving. He said if we don't sort it out, if we don't get the substitutes, the storyteller's apprentices, trained up and operational, then all hell would break loose. And he kept saying they'd be grieving because of Padma's death. But that could be a... Ah, what's the word? Euphemism? Yes. Maybe Eric just doesn't want these people to start talking to each other about their experiences. Well, only if he's part of the whaler-inducing criminal conspiracy, of course. He is currently training two young women to take over the work him and Padma left off. To continue programming the next generation of children. They stare at each other. You see, I'm joking when I talk about criminal heists, but you're not, are you? Maybe. Maybe not. Right. Here's me thinking you're some lovely witchy lady with a love of exotic animals and an interest in bird watching. But actually, you've got pretensions at becoming Lower Lee's own Donnie Brasco, haven't you? <laughs> There's something odd about this neighbourhood. And something odder about Eric Bright and his newly formed band of Asbo gals. Okay, blimey. Maybe we'd better get back to the evidence board, officer. Honestly, I think I preferred it when we were arguing about Mims. You can spin your theories about Eric being some kind of quasi-cult leader slash criminal mastermind, but I maintain that the Mims exist and he created them in a very wizardy way. The living ones and the inanimate ones. I don't dispute that they exist. I dispute how they came into being. Eric's wizardry might be nothing more than some kind of trickster chicanery. People believe in his powers because they want to, because it's better than their reality. If their reality is living a life full of misery, violence and distress. So I say to you, Assistant Detective Baron, that a lot of people were indoctrinated by these two seemingly kindly storytellers as impressionable children. They were preyed on and persuaded through hypnosis or some similar technique to bury and dig up these objects. Prove me wrong, Ruby says, pointing a finger at him rhythmically, in line with the blinking of the cooker. Okay, bloody hell. Right, well, Shirley didn't dig up her own bike or bury it in the first place. She didn't live there as a child. And Tanya had obviously just got home before she was felled by a tree branch. She had not been digging either. Plus, we, you and me, have seen the animals dig. And anyway, why bury them? Why not? I don't know, throw them away or burn them. Ritual? Oh, yes. That old black magic. Gavin folds his arms and nods sagely. He seems to be more comfortable on a comedy footing. Not all ritual is black magic. You say cheers when you have a drink. That's a ritual. That's not black magic. Gavin eyes the green juice with suspicion, but Ruby holds out her glass for more. Cheers! 
Ruby's lips quirk. She's got a mischievous look in her eye, has our Ruby. Naughty. Look, she just looked straight at me then. Did you see that? Maybe it's all completely random. Strange objects could be turning up randomly all over the neighbourhood and we just haven't realised it. Have you checked your back garden? Gavin's eyes bulge. Me? No. Oh God, I should do, shouldn't I? Ah, my ears have only just warmed up. The things I do for truth and justice. And I'm not putting those bloody trainers on again. Where are me wellies? Yes, this is important, Gavin. Find those wellies. I'll help you warm your ears up afterwards. Will you? I just meant I'll lend you my hat, Gavin, that's all. Oh, aye, is that what you meant? Off to the back door they tramp, grinning like a pair of idiots, pleased with their banter. Stop! Gavin halts like a scoutmaster and reaches to flick the switch for the outside lighting. Oh, we actually don't need to go outside then. Gavin, being Gavin... This isn't just any lighting. The garden has been designed with all kinds of illumination, from the fish pond to the rustic wall and everything in between. It's entirely obvious that Gavin's garden has been untouched by paw or claw. His shoulders slump slightly. You are not one of the chosen ones. Oh, don't be sad. One day you'll be brainwashed by the neighbourhood cult leader. Don't wind me up, Hussein, Gavin says, waggling a comedy finger in Ruby's direction. She giggles at him, and they turn awkwardly back to the kitchen, and stop to look down at the table. We haven't got very far with this, have we? Come on, so there's Shirley, Tanya, Eric and Padma, and Charity. Yeah, and Al, and we can add names and objects to this after the meeting tomorrow. If the criminal heist doesn't destroy us all. If the criminals don't take over, yes. Ruby busies herself, building her evidence board. She uses the floppy disk box to represent the area around the track. There are salt and pepper pots and sauce bottles and various items of cutlery to identify the different people, and she places what objects they have down next to them. Gavin watches on, frowning, he seems to be thinking about something else. Ruby holds up the hospital ID tag. What about the objects on the track? As Tanya pointed out, it's common land, isn't it? So it belongs to everyone. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, there was loads of things there, wasn't there? Not just this tag doodah thing. Kids' toys, bits of clothing, household stuff. I spotted an old coffee pot. They could have just been dumped, though. No, I don't think so. There's a group that looks after the land, keeps it like a conservation area, kind of. It's not usually like that. Okay, then. But we'll just consider the ID tag for now, anyway. He nods distractedly. Gavin? Sorry. Uh, okay, I saw digging happening at Sally's house and Lance's earlier. Here, Sally can be the kitchen roll and Lance can be this old tea bag. Poor Lance. You haven't met him. Right then. Is that it? Gavin frowns again. They observe their map of people, places and objects. Are you alright, Gavin? Hmm? Uh, yes, sorry. He rallies. Right, 
this is only going to be helpful if we know the stories behind the connections, isn't it? You'll uncover some of that tomorrow. Tell you what, I can do some online research, background stuff on Lower Lee, you know, old newspapers, that sort of thing. Okay. Okay? Sorry, yeah. I'm just thinking, some people might not want us to know about this stuff. They might move any objects or try to get rid of them. We should definitely check Lancey's garden. Charity lives in a flat. Why, Lancey's? He's Charity's dad. She used to live in his house, and if anyone round here is a criminal, it's him. Right. Er, uh, where are you going? Well, we can at least check Tanya's garden. One, she's immobilised and can't chase me if she sees me. Two, car keys, actually old car keys from the 80s maybe, and the Bible are just too weird a pairing. And there are more things, I'm sure, and I'm quite excited about finding out what. And three, your hat looks really warm. He snatches the keys up and Ruby's hat from the countertop. Oi! Stay here. I need more green magic juice adding to my glass. And if you look in the freezer, there'll be some savouries we can eat up. I'm starving. Back in a tick. And Ruby is alone in Gavin's kitchen. She takes a gulp of the green, smiles to herself and picks up the floppy disk box and a fork. Gavin creeps around the hedge and into Tanya's driveway. He notices a big black SUV with its engine idling and there's a man wandering down the drive. Hello? Gavin inquires. Can I help you? Oh, hello. Well, I'm not sure. You live here, do you? No, next door. Oh, right. Are you after Tanya? That's right, yes. Just some business we need to... Uh... I know it's late, but we had a meeting arranged and she never... She had an accident. I'm sure she wouldn't have meant to... She was hit by a falling tree branch. We found her earlier. To be honest, she was in a bad way, so I expect she'll be asleep now. Oh. Well, that explains it. Oh dear. Poor old Tanya. Well, thank you, Mr... Uh, uh, Mr. Barron. Uh, Gavin. Mr. Barron. Gavin. Most helpful. Thank you. I'll contact her again in the morning. May I ask why you're here if she's, uh, asleep? Oh, of course. I, uh, yeah, forgot to post her keys back. Car keys. Gavin jingles the keys in his pocket. Just going to do it now, <laughs> before I forget. You know how it is. Forgetful, I am. Quite often. Hmm... The man, who is grey-haired and leather-skinned, small in stature, yet imposing, looks at Gavin frankly, appraising him. He nods to himself. You've been very helpful, thank you, Mr. Baron. I won't forget it. Until the next time we meet. And he leaves Gavin standing there dumbfounded. Gavin watches the car leave, 
and when he can no longer hear its quiet hum, turns to look at Tanya's house. Her windows are dark. He listens for more movement. The air is quiet here, just like it was before. The wild wind is still swirling wrathfully out on the road, but this property must somehow be sheltered from the weather. Gavin gathers himself and creeps out onto the ruined lawn, sweeping his torch across it. He sees the big cross shape now, and his eyes widen. There, two more objects. He picks his way across the piles of turf and mud atop the grass and pockets one and then grabs the other, turning and almost running back out. He stops just before the end of the drive, his back to the hedge like a police detective in a film. Cautiously, he looks round it. All seems as usual. He steps quietly round the end of the privet And as he does so, a car further up the road switches on its headlights and then glides from its parking spot into a U-turn and speeds off down Hawthorne Road. It's the same menacing vehicle. He's sure of it. Ruby sits on the chair nearest the radiator, cupping her glass of green liquid. She stares into the middle distance, fiddling absent-mindedly with the dressing covering the cut on her face and thinking on what has happened in the past few hours. She watches Gavin come in through the back door and smiles at him. He returns her smile and deposits his treasure on the table next to Tanya's name, Written on a post-it note, Ruby has been professionalising their evidence board, while Gavin has been abroad, it seems. He notices also the open floppy disk box. Ruby Hussein, have you gained illegal entry into my box? I didn't know you'd be so precious about your floppies, Gavin. She smirks. Yeah, Jimmy it. She holds her fork aloft. Right. Well, I'll see if Brandon will lend me their old PC from the theatre. I think it still works. Thank you. Pleasure. They turn to the collection of objects. Gavin sets down the old car keys, the Bible, an old pair of headphones and a gold locket he's retrieved from Tanya's lawn. He points to the ballpoint drawing of a bike for Shirley and nods, impressed. Ruby closes the floppy disk box and places the child's hospital ID tag, found on the old dark track, on top of it. Henry's bracelet! Gavin suddenly remembers. He rattles the cutlery drawer open again and locates a pastry cutter, places it on top of a post-it note bearing the name. But that didn't come from the earth, it came from the air. The morning after Padma's death, it was windy and it just clattered onto the terrace where we were stood. Eric said it was one of the crows, but I wasn't sure. Clever things, crows. As a cheeky one visits the car park at work sometimes. She was there today. Okay, was that in his garden? Yes. Who's Henry? Shirley's nephew. He's in America at the moment. Ruby frowns. If he lives in America, then... He doesn't. He's there for his own safety, apparently. Really? 
Gavin looks serious again, takes a big breath. He threatened to go to the police about this theory him and Charity have about Tanya's dead husband. Henry was, is quite close to Eric. Eric's like a godfather to him, I think. Godfather? Yeah, okay, calm down, Donnie. It's your word. Shirley says Eric had some involvement in Henry, in him being born. Involvement? No, not that. No, I mean, with one of his stories. I'm assuming he spoke to Kat about... Well, she said it was like a suggestion. I'm assuming his mother gave birth in a hospital and she didn't just turn up one day with a baby after never having been pregnant. Obviously, yes, but given our discussion about Eric and Padma influencing people... Yes, influencing people's behaviour, not conception. Having sex is behaviour. They stop and stare at each other, on the verge of giggles. Okay, rewind. What theory did Henry have? Gavin's face drops. Maybe theory is the wrong word. Gavin shakes his head. He doesn't like thinking about this. Go on. Charity says that something happened to her when she was little, but she's forgotten it. She thinks she's blocked it out. And she says it was Tanya's husband who was responsible. Him and her dad were friends, so he was always round their house. She told Henry this, and Henry threatened to go to the police. Jeez. Yeah. The guy I bought my business from was one of their lot, apparently. Gavin looks at the box of floppy disks uncomfortably. Did Henry make his complaint? No. He's only 14, I think, now, and, well, he he only threatened to. What he did was graffitied Tanya and Tony's house and went on social media making accusations. It wasn't long after Tony had died. It was pretty horrible for Tanya. Did Tanya report him? Gavin shakes his head. So why? Henry came home from school the next day and Shirley says he was in a right state but wouldn't say what was wrong. Then when Kat gets home, she charges up to find Henry and she's freaking out saying some men had pulled up in a car when she was walking home and pushed her about, made her promise to shut Henry up. Eventually, Henry said the same. Two men in a big four-by-four. Gavin frowns, thinking about that funny little man in Tanya's driveway. But this wasn't reported to the police either. No, Kat's always been terrified that Henry will get into trouble and it'll ruin his life. He had a troubled childhood, started to exhibit some pretty nasty behaviour when he was quite young. They were really worried about him, Kat and Shirley. They fell out because of it, actually. Shirley accused Kat of neglecting Henry and exposing him to potential harm. Kat's a recovering addict, so... Well, you'll know what that means, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. Do you think there's any truth in Henry and Charity's assertions? Tony was a pillar of the community. Churchgoer, respected businessman. Gimlet eyes. Gavin shudders. You didn't like him? Nah, something off about him. And Lance, 
I meant it. He is not a nice person. But other than that, I have no idea, really. Charity is somewhat messed up, though, isn't she? The situation she's got herself into with Padma. She's troubled, and you saw how upset she got this evening. That, whatever it was, image, her pleading with Eric. She's convinced she's been damaged. Could be a motive for tearing up Tanya's garden. Henry's in America. Charity hasn't been on her own all day. Who else could have done it? Cat? Gavin nods. Not impossible. Really? He shrugs. Did Tanya's husband know Eric and Padma? I don't know, but... Well, they were of the same generation or thereabouts. They grew up round here. Maybe. Why? Oh, just wondering about connections. I'll ask Brandon tomorrow. Sally will know too. He yawns and then drains the last of his green liquid. Ruby smiles at him. Um, do you need to call Shirley, Gavin? Oh, no, it's fine. I got a message earlier. She's gone to bed. She feels better, she said. Said we'd catch up tomorrow. Oh, good. They concentrate on the objects on the table. Gavin thinks back 24 hours. He was so relieved to be readmitted into Shirley's world. 24 hours before that, he'd been out in the cold. It's been like that for a year, although not usually such a quick turnaround. It's not healthy. He looks up at Ruby, who is studying the headphones. The oven timer dings and Gavin snaps out of it to play host with some mini quiches and pops the kettle on. Thanks. So, Gavin, are you and Shirley... Gavin coughs as a crumb catches in his throat. Um, actually, I don't know. He stops himself. Well, I mean, <clears throat> no. <clears throat> I think it's finished. <laughs> Whatever it was. Nothing very concrete. No promises or anything. I think she's been trying to get rid of me for ages, actually, but I wouldn't take the hint. Really? Why would she want to do that? I cannot imagine. Gavin pops his quiche in his mouth and chews. Nor can I. He swallows, looks at his guest. And the pair revel in the anticipation they've created. Another little step towards romance. Flutterings abound, heartbeats speed up and warmth rises as they hold each other's stare. Those dark eyes of rubies, the blush on her smooth cheek. Gavin's glittery green eyes, his soft, wide smile. Both amazed, both feeling at home. Shall we leave this until tomorrow? Whispers Gavin. What? Forget about the fact we've witnessed actual magic and that wild animals are tearing the streets apart and people are howling and wailing in grief in some mass frenzy brought on by two of your neighbours. And go upstairs and see what's what with us, you mean? Gavin snort laughs, sprays crumbs across the table. Ruby Hussein, you are very direct what you want to be. She giggles at him, picking a crumb from her jumper. Lets the noise of the wind back into the room. Is that what you want? Yes, 
Well, I mean, I do want to work out what's going on. Everyone needs a break, though, don't they? And we'll be fresher and more alert after... After some sleep, yes. Sleep? Yes. Of course. Hmm. You can borrow my toothbrush. Can I? Thank you. been listening to Low Light, written, performed and produced by Melanie Crawley for Crawley Voice Studio. Find out more at crawleyvoicestudio.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>